Let's be honest, green doesn't mean anything anymore, but that doesn't mean there are not sales to be had. There's a new wave of demand that's happening in this same category, the same vein that most manufacturers don't even know about. On today's episode, we bring on a specialist who is going to share with us where green is headed and how manufacturers can take advantage of this before the rest of the industry knows about it. All right, let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. All right, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popnikoloff. And we have an awesome show for you today. If your company has a green element to it and you want to leverage this to grow sales, this is the episode for you. Joining us today is Jessica Midnaughton. She is the president of Peregrine. Zach and I met Jessica at Mark Mitchell's Wizard Summit a couple of weeks ago. She presented on the issue of greenwashing and healthy buildings. She's got tons of great information to share with us today. Jessica, why don't you start and tell us a little bit actually about Peregrine because it's a pretty interesting company. Yeah, so Peregrine was founded a little over 10 years ago, and it was founded when LEED which is LEED, Leadership in Environmental and Energy Design, first came to the forefront as a building standard when people were really looking at the impact of buildings on the environment. In North Carolina, there was a couple, a designer and some others that were looking to build a LEED building and looking for materials that would be suitable building materials for a project that was trying to meet this environmental standard. And they really couldn't find any. So what they realized was there just wasn't enough awareness and availability of these, you know, what we called green then, now we would refer to as healthier building materials. And Caregreen was born as a curator and distributor of brands that had a really good sustainability story and really bringing those to market. Okay. So you're hitting on exactly what I want to talk to you about. So but one of my responsibilities at Benvio is I work with our manufacturers to work on their messaging. And I have spent many an hour with our clients and with other manufacturers who have green products trying to figure out how do we talk about it now in a way that's meaningful. Can you speak a little bit to that about the issues with greenwashing and then how you have seen success with if you have a green product, how manufacturers should be speaking about it now? Sure. I think we've seen over time that when the term green first came to the forefront. Green evokes this idea of nature and trees, and we just associated it with the environment. You see all these recycle logos are green, you know, Earth Day, everything's green or blue, but you see this color and it really came to mean products that were recycled or reclaimed or local, but then it got overused and you used a term that, you know, we often use, which is greenwashing. And a lot of companies came out with this pay to play schemes like you know, green seal or to some degree green guard, a lot of them have evolved. But initially, you know, if you paid the right amount of money, you would get a label on your product that said you were green, but there was no auditing or there was no real validation of that claim. And what did it really mean? So people really fell into this green fatigue and the word green just meant they're going to charge me more for this material. And, you know, people just kind of shied away from this idea of green. And what we saw change probably about three years after the green terminology came out, you know, there's this trade show, green build, you know, so everyone, you know, that kind of, you know, played into the, the green fatigue. But then the shift started 
towards sustainable. So the idea of sustainability is really something that could be independently self-sustaining, like a closed loop ecosystem. So people started using this word sustainable to mean, hey, my product is part of this utopian closed loop ecosystem. And that was nice. But then the term sustainability or sustainable as well became fatigued. And so within the last, I would say, year and a half to two years, the new term that we've found really encompasses what's happening with green building materials is health. So now healthier products, products that are healthier, not just for you as an individual, but healthier for the environment and the planet. So there's so many things I want to ask you about here, Jessica, just to dive into this. But if you can help us understand like the progression of green, sustainable, and now healthy, are you saying that if I'm not healthy, like no one's going to pay attention? Like, is there still a place for green or like, what does that mean? Like, what are you seeing on, on the forefront of what's coming down the pike from architects specifically? Cause that's probably who you primarily, you know, work with as it relates to, you know, green, sustainable, healthy products. What are they wanting in the marketplace? Right. So you asked a couple different questions there. And I think I'll start with, you know, going back to what I said about the term health and what it means. It's not just about, you know, my products are healthy because they're going to make you as an individual eat better, right? Versus, you know, the the health of the planet. So it really is putting it in the context of both individual health and, you know, the health of the planet, right? So architects and designers are seeing a shift from building standards that are focused on, you know, the building itself. It's all about the building. Lead is all about the building moving towards the well building standard, which is all about the people and the occupants within the building. So you're, you're seeing a shift towards more personalization, your personal experience within the building, not just how much daylighting, what's the airflow, how many solar panels are on the roof, rather what is your comfort level and your experience within that building. So that's the real focus on health. It kind of mirrors this shift that architects are seeing from lead building to the well building standard. So no, you don't have to stop calling your products green and stop talking about how they're recycled or not promote the fact that they're local, but just put them in the context of how being local is healthier for the planet. If your products are all extracted and manufactured within a hundred miles of, you know, the job location, that's fantastic because all of this transportation didn't need to happen. You're employing locally and you've really got a great story to tell. And it is again about environmental health. So you know, the health piece, it kind of plays into this concept of the evolution of green, not just being, I'm going to call it green. It's a word and it's a label, but health being the impact. So it's getting away from the label and moving towards the actual impact of that material. And you can frame your product in that context, any way you like, you know, every product has a story. I just think the manufacturers today, what they're missing is they're not finding a relatable story to tell the people that they need to purchase their products. So you said something really important there, Jessica, which was, you know, you talked a little bit about standards of of buildings and what's being built today. Like, are there new standards that maybe manufacturers don't know about that they need to be targeting or or standards that are still considered, I guess, viable to get into projects that maybe they otherwise wouldn't be able to? Is that a viable question or is like that doesn't matter at all? No, I think think that's actually a really good question. And, and, And I'll tell you why, because standards have always been this all or nothing thing. And when LEED came out, people kind of scratched their heads and said, well, I can do this, but is it really going to save me money? Or am I just going to have to buy all these expensive things, put a sticker on my building that says it's green? And what are the benefits to me that come out of it? And 
what has happened of late is, yes, you see the new well building standard. There's the living building challenge and FitWell is another one. But these new building standards that are about the people, they all incorporate one very important thing and it's biophilic design. And what biophilic design is, is it is based on 14 principles and there's all these techniques you can use within these principles that anyone can incorporate. So you can incorporate biophilic design at the smallest level or in its entirety. And that's the great thing is it doesn't have to be about the standard. It has to be about adopting some of this biophilic design. And you can do that incrementally. You can do that, you know, at a large level, like, well, or you could just incorporate three principles into your office space. So I really think it's important to look at products in the context of biophilic design. How do my products fit into biophilic design? Wood products. Wood products don't get a lot of play in lead building. And wood is good. Wood sequesters carbon. It's constructing with permanently sequestered carbon. It's a really good thing. And wood has got a bad rap. Biophilic design is all about bringing nature into a space. So seeing that natural wood grain is proven to be a calming effect. So it actually makes employees more relaxed and more productive. And the other thing about biophilic design that's really nice is all the data backs it up. So when you read these studies on biophilic design, it's showing you that hospital patients are less medicated. It's showing you less absenteeism at schools by teachers and students, better performance at schools by the students, and it's showing more efficient employees. So it's kind of one of these, the data is in biophilic design makes sense. Well building is probably the more the more relevant standard today, really putting people first. And lead is kind of, you know, in my opinion, scrambling a bit to incorporate some of these biophilic principles. But I mean, I think anyone today can cast their product in the context of biophilic design and architects and designers are going to love it. We teach a course on biophilic design and it is by far our most popular course because they're just clamoring for this information. Jessica, can you explain for anybody who may not know exactly what biophilic design is? Can you just explain it in like one or two sentences? Sure, sure. People always get a little freaked out when you use the term biophilia, like it's some weird infatuation with plants. But what it <laughs> what it really is, is biophilia is our inherent desire to be affiliated with nature. So it's been long known that walking through nature, it relaxes you. And there's a whole parasympathetic, sympathetic system balance thing going on. But it really is about how nature calms us. So biophilic design is bringing nature into a space. So the most natural thing you would think of is bringing plants inside or having a fish tank or a water feature. But, you know, the less direct ways of doing that are perhaps having sound masking or acoustics in a space to make it more comfortable, having a rug that looks like grass or acoustical clouds on the ceiling. So there's a lot of ways to kind of evoke nature without being so direct. Once you look at biophilic design, it's really exciting because you go into spaces and you notice these design elements you may not have noticed before. So for example, our most natural, comfortable place to be is in the savanna setting. So you'll see a lot of office spaces will create these savanna-like experiences where you're protected all around you, but you can see everything. So think about like a lion waiting to pounce. They are going to be backed up so they're protected, but they can see all of you know what's in front of them on the savanna. So a lot of buildings will actually you know, incorporate these kind of vantage points. You know, people like the idea of risk. So you'll have like a cantilevered walkway with a glass front. So 
that idea of risk is very stimulating. But biophilic design goes all the way from bringing a plant into a space to having glass stairs. You know, it really incorporates all these elements that are shown to bring nature into a space and make people more productive and healthier. What manufacturers do you think are doing this well? Who is not only has a great product, but who is marketing that to this new demand really well? You know, frankly, I can't say that I think that anyone is particularly doing a great job marketing biophilic design. I mean, at Caregreen, I know that we really go out there and we push our biophilic design presentation and cast our products in that context as a distributor. And I think that we do that well, but, you know, maybe a three form, someone who really has kind of nature built into their products. You know, they have a lot of the ones that have the plant-based elements in them. But, you know, I think people are just starting to, you know, catch on to this trend and really understand that, you know, they need to frame their products this way. We're going to be going to green build for the first time in the last couple of years, just because the manufacturers haven't been catering to what I think the architects and designers are looking for. And we really feel like this is that tipping point. So I would expect at green build this year, I would probably be able to answer that question better and really talk about who's doing a great job. But I think, you know, I think three form does a good job. They've introduced some acoustic products. I think that Cure echo panel, they do a really good job of, you know, kind of introducing color. Color is a big part of biophilic design. So people, you know, Cure does color and they do the acoustic treatment, which is about comfort. So I think that, you know, those are two brands that off the top of my head, I get a lot of their literature and I think they're doing a great job with addressing biophilic design. Are there any industries out there that you look at and you go, man, if they could only realize what is happening with an Andy space, that they would really be able to capitalize on biophilic? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I look at these plywood guys. I mean, these plywood guys are out there, you know, they go through distribution, they're slinging, you know, this three quarter inch, this half inch, this, but they're not realizing that if they would get away from, Hey, this is a blank for a laid up laminate. But rather, that seeing the natural wood, not laying it up as a veneer, is actually a really powerful biophilic element. So a lot of these wood-based products that really just focus so much on volume have a huge opportunity framing themselves, you know, in the biophilic space. And even some of these steel metal railings or aluminum railings, you know, they can be part of that risk, right? You pair that railing with glass and you've incorporated this this risk element. And you've also enabled this, this daylighting. And if you took your metal railing and you coupled it with glass and you positioned that as a biophilic element, you're in a whole new ball game. You're talking to architects about something besides, you know, metal railings. So that is what I think they need, you know, instead of, Hey, I want to talk to you about, you know, metal railings and how they fit in architectural spaces, but rather, you know, incorporating biophilic design with stair structures and railings or something that just is a little more interesting than just, I'm going to tell you about my product, but I'm going to cast it in the context of the trend that is most appealing to you right now. You're tying back exactly to what you were saying about manufacturers being able to tell their story better. And it's really interesting, the examples that you're giving, because these are companies that you would not see included in a typical green movement. You know, when I think about a green movement, I obviously don't think about aluminum railings. I mean, maybe that's just me. So I want to ask you about consumer perception. We know that a lot of the part of the greenwashing problem was really due to consumer demand. 
end mm-hmm. consumers, you know, started to see that things could be green or sustainable. We know that especially millennials, they love to tell that story about their products. They love to tell that sustainable green story. So that really contributed to that greenwashing issue. Where are you seeing consumer demand today as it pertains to healthy buildings or biophilic design? Where am I seeing consumer demand? Well, you know, one of the funniest movements and where we spend so much of our time at Caregreen is tiny homes, van life, you know, a lot of these movements towards just the space I need. And a lot of those people are looking for, they're looking at hashtags. Van life is a hashtag and they find wool insulation because they're going to be in a van and they're going to insulate it and it's going to be close to them. And they don't want fiberglass in their, you know, capsule. (laughs) You know, they want something healthy that sequesters formaldehyde, you know, that they can touch, that they're going to be breathing in, that acts as an air filter. So they're really gravitating towards the wool insulation or a product like Paperstone, you know, where you've got this organic look and, you know, it's, it's recycled paper, you know, something that has a story. But these guys that are finding this stuff, the consumers, they're smart now. I am sick of these And I call it, I'll use Mark Mitchell's term, the old white guys, but I don't think of that as an actual demographic. I think of that as a mentality, the way that he uses it. But this mentality of these people are going to come to my showroom and pick something out. Today's consumers have done their homework before they get there and they're discerning. They are going to ask you what's in it, where it came from. So you really have to have your story together. And I think that as these manufacturers, big manufacturers, small manufacturers, You need to expect that that person walking through the door has done their research. So you need to make sure your story's out there in a way that is impactful for them, right? I mean, I always find that people say, you know, we're 82% recycled content. No one's really that high. But, you know, say you're 22% recycled paper fiber in your product. Why don't you translate that into trees? Don't tell me how much paper fiber. Tell me how many trees didn't get cut down because of you. That is personal and that's the story that people want to hear and it's relevant. So just saying the recycled content, which is the days of green, now needs to be the number of trees in the context of health of the planet. That's such a better story. Yeah, way more tangible. Oh man, I have like a bunch of questions I want to ask you now, Jessica. I mean, the thing that I love that you're saying is like, it's an element of story. It's an element of understanding where the industry is going. Like we talk so much about like the shifts that are happening in building products. And if I hear you correctly, like biophilic design is, it is like the next thing, if not the thing right now. And like most manufacturers don't get it, even though architects get it. Right. And so if I'm a manufacturer and I'm listening to the show, what advice would you give me to get on this train? Like if I'm like, man, I think I've got a green product. I've got a sustainable product. I think I can get on this movement. What advice would you give me? Well, I would look at Terrapin Bright Green, which is the website that's done a lot of work on biophilic design and has some really good white papers on it. And look at all those principles and all the different ways you can incorporate biophilic design into a space and marry your product up with those principles and say, these are the ways that our product can be used for biophilic design. And by the way, here are the benefits that the use of our products in that way will provide. So you know, knowing how architects are designing today, using this biophilic design, I I don't see that changing because in what world would not bringing nature into a space make sense? We spend 90% of our time indoors. And that's really why 
biophilic design is like, well, if you guys aren't going to go outside, we're going to bring biophilic design in. And now that the data is there to back it up, there's no reason a product manufacturer shouldn't cast themselves in that context. Because guess what you're saying? You're not walking in saying, I can save you 10 cents a lineal foot on my railings. You're not saying that. You're walking in and saying, I can make your employees 10% more effective because I'm going to bring this much more daylighting in. That's so smart. Well, this has been awesome, Jessica. If somebody is listening and they want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah. I mean, I would just email me directly, Jessica at caragreen.com and it's C-A-R-A-G-R-E-E-N.com. And we also have a podcast, Build Green, Live Green, which we'll be interviewing you guys for shortly. And some of our blog posts, we tackle a lot of industry issues like the recycling crisis, quartz tariffs, now the tile and cabinet tariffs as well. So yeah, check out our website, caragreen.com and reach out to me directly. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. If you want more great content like this, go to venvio.com slash podcast. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikolov. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit venvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.